this last week as I was looking at the story for today. Um, and thank you for Pastor Yumiko setting up just this season of Advent so well, this series of waiting. I was thinking about how good stories can begin in many different ways. You think for a moment of how your favorite story starts. Maybe it's a movie or a book that you've read. How does your favorite story start? It has a beginning, right? I remember when in, in high school I had to read uh, these books that are on our AP English reading list, and one of them was Moby Dick, and it starts with like you know this surprising introduction, "Call me Ishmael," right? It's just very brief, and you're like, "Who are you? I want to read more." Right? We have some stories that are set with like some kind of philosophical statement, like "It was the best of times," "It was the worst of times," "It was the whatever," and I that's all I know. <laughs> Sorry. Like we have these, these, the beginning of stories, and yet I think one way we don't expect a good story to begin, one way we might not expect a good story to start with, is with a list. A list. What kind of story starts with a list? Story. No story, right, Felix? Like I don't know. I have, I'm, I have a hard time thinking about amazing stories that start with a list. I, I do think, though, that maybe a murder mystery would be a great story to start with a list. If I ever write a murder mystery, it's going to start off with a list, like a receipt of all these sort of suspicious looking objects that someone bought at the store. And then maybe I could start like each, I don't know, section of the book with like a different receipt, a different list. And at the end, maybe have the person who bought like dental floss and toothpaste, they're the murderer and somehow they use the dental floss, I don't know. It wasn't the spade, it wasn't the, you know, tarp and the bleach. <laughs> Like, how do you have a good story start with a list? And yet that's exactly what happens today in our text for today. An amazing story of all time, of God's new life coming here, being born even as one of us. And it starts with, yes, Felix, a list. He <laughs> starts it with a genealogy. It's a list of names, which, if you think about it, is really a list of stories. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to read this list right now. We're going to read our text for today. I think each one of you might have gotten a little green, a little green um, printout of today's text. And um, when I read it and your name appears, please stand up so we can have a visual representation. This isn't just any old list. This is a list of people and of their stories. And I'm going to read this with my total American accent. I'm not going to try to read any of these uh, from the Hebrew language in which they came. They're beautiful names, but I'm not going to do that today because there's so many of them. I'm just going to read them in my regular American English. I hope that's okay. So it's not very authentic. It's authentic to me. Here we go. Matthew 1, 1 through 17. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. And you can keep standing if you want. We're going to keep going. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Ruth. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother, oh, whose mother was Rahab. I, I, I messed up the woman. Okay, we have Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Okay, we're there at King David. Let's keep going. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. 
Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asaph, Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzzah, Uzzah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amos, Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel, Sheltiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Elazir, Elazir, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Thus there are 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Woo, we did it! Give yourselves a big hand. We made our way through the list. Thank you, you may be seated. This, this my friends, this, this long list, this genealogy is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so as you can see, this is a long list of names. Who usually, you don't have to raise your hand, but I'll let you know, usually when I'm read this, reading this in Matthew, I kind of tend to skip it. I'm like, oh yeah, there's some names there. There's a lot I don't know, there's some I do know. And yet here is how Matthew introduces the story because each one of these names on this list is a person with a story. And in some way, their story ties in and lays the way and is a part of God's big story. Now, there's some names on the list that you kind of expect to be there. Like right away, the very first verse, um, Matthew says that this is, here we go. He says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So it's two names listed right there. Son of David, son of Abraham. And those are two names you'd really expect to be on the list. Like if Matthew is telling you the story and saying that Jesus is God's anointed son come into the world to fulfill all of the hopes and all the promises, he would have to name those two people. He would have to name Abraham and Abraham and Sarah because they were the family that God first gave the blessing that through them, all families on earth would be blessed. So there's this long-standing blessing, this long-standing promise that's millennia old, that they're still waiting. These wonderful people of God are still waiting for God to answer and God to fulfill. And then David, David was Israel's best king. He had all the hopes, all the hopes of the people were placed in him. They chose him in hope that he would be the one who would bring justice and peace. And he did bring a lot of that in his lifetime, but he didn't bring it to the whole world. He didn't bring it to um, uh, the area around them any more than his lifetime. He was just a regular human. He was a beloved king, but he lived and he died. And so here, when Matthew uses those two names, David and Abram, we know that he's telling us a story that will be fulfilled in Jesus. These are names you'd expect to be told. If he didn't tell them, he'd be telling a different story and you would wonder why aren't they there. But there's other names on the list that you're like, why are those names there? There's people whose, whose stories, the shape of them is not at all what you'd expect. In fact, there's people in, in this line, this kingly line of Messiah that aren't really supposed to be there, but there they are. Rahab, she was a Canaanite woman. She was a small business owner of dubious reputation, 
and yet she somehow found her way there. She's the mother of Boaz, who married Ruth, also a woman who's a foreigner. She was a migrant worker from Moab. In the law, it was written that you could not worship with people from Moab. They were not allowed to be part of the community. And yet, there she was, worshiping with them. Their God is my God, your people, my people. Ruth found her way in. There was room enough for her story. There was room for Rahab's story when she sheltered the spies. And she said, I believe that your God is different than the gods of my city. There was room for her story. There's room for all these people listed who, whether it was because of something they did or maybe a quality about who they were, maybe it was their gender, maybe it was their racial group, they weren't supposed to be part of the story by anyone's estimation. And yet by God's estimation, there was room for them. There were some people who, simply by matter of things they did, weren't supposed to be part of the story. Like, there's this one guy that I always skip because I already told you I skipped this long list. There's this guy called Jeconiah, and he's actually King Jehoiachin. It's the same name. You know, people have nicknames. Um, he was not a good king. And he was told by the prophet Jeremiah, this would be um, in the book of Jeremiah, he was told that, like, you are going to be removed of your kingship, and none of your offspring, none of your ancestors will ever be king either. Like, you've disqualified yourself because you have behaved unjustly and sinfully. So, you know, you're being cut off. And yet, who's in this list? Jeconiah, Jehoiachim, he's in this list too. <laughs> he made it in. There was a change of heart. I don't know if his heart changed or God's heart changed or both, but somehow he made it in. There was room for his story. Some stories um, are, are so inspirational. Some lives were really well-lived, but not all of them were. Not all of them were faithful prophets like Amos in verse 10. Not all of them were enterprising self-advocates for justice within the law like Tamar in verse 3. Not all of them were righteous kings like Hezekiah in verse 10 or psalmists like Asaph in verse 8. There's people with complicated stories like Jacob's, he who wrestled with God, always tried to find room for himself. There were traumatic stories like Bathsheba's. She's simply named as the wife of Uriah the Hittite, reminding us that deep injustice had been done her, to her. There's room for her story too. The complicated stories, the ones that don't seem to fit, the ones that don't have any easy resolution, the ones that seemed like they were disqualified. There was room for all these stories and more. Most of the stories are lost to us. We simply don't know who they were. We don't know anything more than, if we were to look it up, how to pronounce their name well. But they are known by God. There was space made for them. Their stories are still seen. And here they are included because there is room for their story. So what is the criteria then? Why are these people in this long list? If it's not because they were all amazing psalm writers or wonderful kings or great um, poets or uh, prophets, they weren't all that. Why are they in this? What binds them together? What binds them together is that they are all in Jesus' family. Interestingly enough, they're not all biologically related to Jesus. They aren't, because this, this line, this long list of names that Matthew traces through, this is a list that goes down to Joseph, 
who is Jesus' stepdad. <laughs> There's this whole long list of people. They're not even biologically related to Jesus, but they're part of the story that Jesus comes out of. Their stories are made space for whether they're biologically related to him or not because they are in Jesus' family. And friends, the same thing is true of us. Some of our stories have awkward shapes to them. They have sharp edges and corners. Some of our lives, our stories might even be cut short. We might not live as long as we hoped or have as vibrant lives as we wanted. We might not all be poets or prophets or great kings, and yet there is room for your story, for my story. Maybe other people thought we couldn't be included for whatever reason. Maybe we were the wrong gender or the wrong racial group or the wrong orientation. Things that other people said disqualified you. There is room in this story for you. We might not be the wisest or the strongest or the most good. That's okay because God is wisest and stronger and good enough for all of us. When I read this list of, um, of Matthew's story, I was struck by, when, when I went and I looked at the first couple words in, in the Greek, I was struck by the, the fact that this isn't just a list, right? It's a list of stories, it's a list of people, but it's also a genesis. Did you know there's two genesises in the Bible? I didn't. There's actually two genesises. How do you say that? I don't know because we don't say that very often, right? Because we just say Genesis. We know that's the first book of the Bible, right? It's in the Pentateuch. It's part of the Torah. It's a wonderful book. It's where God does God's creating. It's where God, you know, finds a family that is open to him, that says yes when he asks if, if you'd like to partner with God for the good of the whole world. They said yes. Very similar to Mary's yes we see in Matthew, where an angel comes to her and says, would you like to partner with God for the good of the world? And she says yes. Because that's what ties the family of Jesus together. It's our yes, right? That ties us all, whether we're descendants of, of Joseph or Jesus or Mary or of no one in this story, except our yes, bringing us into the family of Jesus. So there's, there's two Genesises. The first one is the book of Genesis in the Torah. The second one is Matthew's book. And we just call his book Matthew because he wrote it. Makes it a little easier. We're like, which gospel? Matthew's gospel. Did you know Matthew has an actual title to his book? Now, the editors, when they were going through this in the Greek, they just went ahead and they, they, put, they put his title right in with the body of everything. They just tied it all together. The first two words of the book are book Genesis, Biblos Genesis. Matthew is like, there's a new Genesis. It's the Genesis of Jesus. It's the generations of Jesus leading up to him, the generations that come before as God is doing both a new thing and an old thing. God is weaving together the best of the old. God's promises to bless the world, to save the world. And God is doing it in a new way through Jesus, someone no one would expect, who's not even related to this long line of kings. Joseph is his stepdad. See, here we have this new Genesis, this new Genesis that this whole long list of people gets to feed into. And you and I, if we were to think a moment, we're part of a Genesis too. We're part of a genealogy, because those words are the same thing. If you were reading this in different English translations, sometimes it says the genealogy of Jesus. Sometimes it says the Genesis of Jesus, depending on how literal it's trying to be. It usually just says, sometimes it says, here are the generations of Jesus. Oh my goodness, there's so many translations. But really what it is, is here's all the people who've been part of God's family that God wove through their stories. 
And there's an invitation there because in the word Genesis, there's this connotation of continuing life. And that comes through generations. It might come through when we think of continuing life, we might think of like, you know, people having kids, who have kids, and there are these different generations that go on and the human race continues. That's one way. Another way of generations and of genesis, of continuing life, is through our shared connection. It's through our shared love. And it's through, in Jesus' family, our yes to God. And this brings us, this continues on our family from one generation to another. For me, when I think of my spiritual genealogy, my own genesis, I think of my mom. So it's a little complicated because she's like my biological mom and she's the person who led me to Jesus. I remember we were baking bread together, we were kneading, and it was a hot afternoon in the Philippines. It was so hot in the kitchen, I don't even think you needed a lot of time to let the bread rise because it's like you knead it and it's like done. It's so hot, it's like ready to go in the oven. It was like basically an oven, you didn't even need to put it in an oven. I was four, but I remember how hot it was. It must have been pretty hot. We were kneading bread, and I asked her what it meant to be born again. What did it mean to be born again, Mom? She told me a little bit about the story. That God made room in humanity to be born. And each of us can say yes to God's new life being born in us. And us finding our life and our story in God. So I said, oh, sure, I'll, I'll say yes to God. I remember I invited Jesus to come and take up residence in my life, to weave my story with God's big story, my sharp edges and all. I didn't know what was to come. I was four. Like, life was okay. <laughs> it was hot, but okay. But each one of you, you have your own story, your own Genesis story, your own generation story. Who, who first told you about Jesus? Can you think for a moment who that person was? Might have been someone who gave you a book to read, might have been something you read, maybe some song you sang. There's a person. Once you think of that person, can you just like nod your head? So I know we're all kind of thinking of the person who first told us about Jesus. Yeah. That's your, that's your genealogy. For me, it was my mom. And you know how my mom came to faith? It was her friend, Mary Ann, who led her to Jesus. I don't know who led Mary Ann to Jesus. It was somebody. But you and I, if we were to take our spiritual genealogy, we could go back. Our list would be even longer than this to go all the way back to that first century AD where Jesus lived and walked. To his family around him, his forged and found family, people who said yes to God. His stepdad who said yes to God and became part of his family. So friends, there's room for your story, whatever the shape of it. And there's room for your continuing story for the generations to come as you and I each say yes to God and invite someone else to say yes to. In a couple minutes after we, we close with some prayer and worship, we're gonna have time to take photos. And Pastor Cheryl had this really great idea last week. Um, and our theme for Advent is from generation to generation. This idea, and it's taken right from Mary's song, this idea that from generation to generation, God is faithful. God weaves together our stories. And how um, each one of us, doesn't matter how old we are or you know, when we first came to faith, we're part of the continuing story. And so each week we'll be looking at a different aspect of from generation to generation. And um, this week, we're gonna be taking photos of each other with a little Polaroid. 
it's going to remind us that we, you and I, are part of Jesus' family. And how we create together, how we co-create, how we listen to the shape and make space for each other's stories. How that, it's deeply biblical and faithful to the Christmas story because it's what God does for us. We're going to take these photos celebrating our life together. Maybe we'll get to know each other a little bit more along the way. Um, I suspect if we had all of our names on a list like this and we read it, some of us here would be like, oh, yeah, I know that person. Oh, I know a little bit of their story. There'd be other people who were like, I don't know them at all. That totally sounds like a form. I don't know that name at all. This is our chance to kind of get to know each other a little bit, to make space for each other's stories as we wait for Jesus. So we'll be taking some photos. And the best part of all, they're little... Um, it's a Polaroid, so it'll come out right away. We are going to then use them to decorate our tree, our Christmas tree at church. So you'll see every week we're going to have these photos around. You can take more photos. We can just keep sticking them on the tree. You can bring a couple home. We'll try to get more film every week. This is our chance for us. Whatever generation you are, whether you're new to Wellspring, you've been at Wellspring a long time, you're not really sure about faith, a chance for us to make space for each other in the same hospital spirit that God makes space for us. So as you make space for each other today, remember there is room for you in God's story. There is room for your complicated story with its sharp corners because God has made space for you. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are an amazingly hospitable God who comes to dwell and make your home with even us. And you choose people to be part of your family that we wouldn't expect. Some people who we'd expect to be there and some people we are amazed and so encouraged by. Because Lord, our stories have sharp corners too. There's parts of us that don't seem to fit very much. Thank you for picking up the threads of our stories and weaving your goodness and grace and your mercy into them when we say yes to you. Thank you for each of the people represented on the, the long list genealogy that we read today that we don't know their stories, but you do. I thank you for their, their testimony and their yes to you. I thank you for each person on the list that uh, we know, might know a little bit about. Thank you that one day we'll be able to know their stories more. Lord, for those of us here in this space, in your creation, help us to hear each other's stories and be caught up into yours master storyteller. Thank you for being the Messiah, the anointed one, God's chosen one who will bring peace and justice and mercy. We celebrate you even as we wait for your coming. We ask all our prayers in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.